Hassan in Swahili is dedicated to all you beautiful people around the world. We say Jumbo! Podcast. I'm Richard Lewis, your host, as we discuss issues related to global missions and the worldwide outreach of the Great Commission. Well, today, what I want to talk to you about is uh, evangelism and the social gospel. One of the most challenging things for Christians is our witness, and quite frankly, sometimes we just don't do it very well. Part of the reason is because we don't know or are confused on what our role is in society as ambassadors for Christ. Part of the confusion lies in what I call not distinguishing between pre-conversion behavior versus post-conversion behavior. In every class, I tell my students that many pastors and Christians want people to behave like Christians before they actually become Christians. Then I ask my students a series of questions. Can a person truly be a Christian and smoke? Can a person truly be a Christian and drink? Can a person truly be a follower of Christ and have five wives? Can a person truly be a follower of Christ and continue to pray in the mosque? Well, the list is endless. Can a person be a Christian and lie, be gluttonous, covetous, lustful, cheat on their taxes, give a bribe, wear jewelry, which is a sticking point for some denominations, or commits adultery? None of the above behaviors, I'm guessing, would be considered acceptable conduct for Christians, and most of my students, primarily in India or Africa, are adamant that it's impossible for someone to go to heaven and smoke, drink, or pray in the mosque. The question becomes, therefore, how will we witness to people who practice these behavioral traits? Must people do away with these practices to go to heaven? And then there are social concerns which Christians speak out against that are abhorrent to followers of Christ, but are a part of their cultural practices. While many conservative Christians demonstrate in pro-life marches, more liberal Christians picket for racial or economic equality, Many Christian organizations are engaged with feeding the poor and starting orphanages, while others battle against corrupt governments and climate change. None of these activities are necessarily wrong in themselves and perhaps a worthy endeavor. But how do these things really advance the gospel? Listen, I'm not suggesting that social work can't further the gospel, but my question is, how does it achieve the goal of our Lord's command to make disciples to every ethnic people group in the world. 
I'm very much aware that demonstrating the love of Christ can be an avenue for witnessing, and ignoring the felt needs of others can indeed be a detriment to our testimony. But again, the question remains, in what way does being involved in social issues present the gospel message? There is a proverb in Swahili which goes like this, Tumbo Halina Masikio, and the translation is, The stomach has no ears. The meaning of the proverb is this, If the stomach is empty and hungry, it cannot hear what is being said, no matter how important the message is. So yes, there are certainly some social programs that are vital in being an ambassador for Christ. And while social causes and activities can and does bring people to Christ, in some cases, among some Christians and organizations, the cause has become more important than the purpose. While well-meaning people promote the cause, meaning feeding the hungry or fighting for social justice, the collateral damage is that the purpose, i.e. the great commission of making disciples, suffers. It is a well-known reality that people today, especially among millennials and most non-evangelical Christians, would prefer to be engaged in the social gospel rather than the proclamation of the gospel. And to repeat myself, our witness for Christ gets lost in doing very nice things that may not bring people to know Christ's salvation any closer than if we had given to the United Way or the Red Cross. What then should be our approach in being a witness for our Lord? First of all, understand that cultural issues are not salvation issues. And even if the cultural issues are morally repugnant, recognize that they are still not the most important issue. Let me give you a case in point. 35 years ago, I began working among the Pokot people of Kenya. The Pokot are a semi-nomadic tribe that practice initiation ceremonies, or what we call rites of passage, for both boys and girls. For the boys, circumcision is the first of two initiation rites into manhood. For Pokot girls, their annual initiation into adulthood is called Lapan. For those outside of Pokot, this ritual is called FGM, female genital mutilation, or female circumcision. The average age of the girls who take Lapan is around 14 years of age. After the procedure, they are in seclusion for a month and are under the care of older women. During this time of healing, the girls are instructed in ways of proper behavior as a wife. After the 30-day healing period, the girls are then eligible for marriage. There is usually a joint celebration at the home of the relatives, a coming-out party, so to speak, where gifts are brought to the parents and prospective grooms attend, uh, attend the meeting to inspect this year's crop of eligible brides. Uh, the picture for this podcast is my daughter Becky many years ago standing by a group of circumcised girls. When I was a resident working in Pocot, my approach to FGM was latent, meaning that I was not a social activist. 
As a student of culture, I first wanted to know the meaning of Lapan. As I tell my students today, before you condemn people for what they do, you should know why they do it. I also did a great deal of research on how Pocot girls felt about this ritual, as well as the Christian community. My conclusion was that, though a disgusting and potentially life-threatening procedure, Lapan is not a salvation issue. Working with the unreached people with the gospel, it is my opinion that every issue, no matter how repulsive it may be, is not the main thing Christians are to do. Challenging behavior rather than confronting people with the gospel may, in some cases, cause more harm than good. In the case of my time in Pocot, if I campaigned against Lapan, I would no doubt have hindered the greater message of Christ to the point that people would not listen to me. I have been criticized because of my non-engagement in social issues. Though I'm quick to point out that I am opposed to FGM practices and talk at length with parents about its harm, it is not a cause I feel I need to champion. I have in the past and believe today that it is the responsibility of the local church, not a foreigner or a foreign organization, that should lead the charge on social issues. Indeed, about 10 years ago, a Pocot Christian man approached one of our pastors in the area and asked if he could use their church facilities to start a high school for at-risk Pocot girls. The pastor agreed, and they established what is called today the Exodus High School. I was quite happy to help them raise money for the dorms and classrooms, and now there are nearly 300 students enrolled at Exodus. The success of the high school was because local people, not a foreigner, spearheaded the project. The government of Kenya has made FGM illegal, and it is a dying practice in Pokot, though it's still held out by a few and vehemently defended by the Maasai tribe. I understand that many good things have taken place because of social activism. Slavery eventually was abolished in Europe and America because of William Wilberforce. Sati, the wife burned on her dead husband's funeral pyre in India, was strongly opposed by William Carey. More recently, Mother Teresa, of course, started her Sisters of Charity organization to help the destitute in Calcutta. And Sisters of Charity now has a worldwide impact. All of these acts of charity and more besides are laudable, and if a person feels that it is their calling, God bless them. However, for the average missionary, the question is, does our charitable work indeed enhance the work of Christ, or does it become an obstacle to those who are not yet followers of Christ? Do missionaries engage in starting orphanages, feeding programs, safe houses in the red light districts because they are crucial in reaching people for Christ, or because it may be easier and more appealing for donors of their ministry? If I had used my time in Pocot to preach against FGM and a host of other things I consider to be sinful behavior, 
Would my actions be a wedge or a bridge in telling people about Christ Jesus? Let me give you another example where my perspective on wrong behavior could be an obstacle in presenting the gospel. In my days living in New Delhi, my landlord, who was a cultural Hindu and about 81 years old, liked to take a shot of whiskey each night before he went to bed. If in my witness he asked me if Christians drink and is it okay to drink, what should my response be? Back to my earlier questions to my students, can a person drink and still go to heaven? My response to my landlord is simply, I don't want to talk to you about drinking. I want to talk to you about other things, such as what happens to the soul of man when he dies. I don't want to talk about drinking. I want to talk about Jesus, who he was, and why he died on the cross. Why do I avoid talking about drinking and other behavioral matters? Because it is not a salvation issue. I realize this goes against the grain of many of my colleagues. Many pastors want lost people to look and behave like Christians before they become Christians and expect new converts to put away non-Christian habits the moment they come out of the spiritual birth canal. As a result, in the end, we keep many unbelievers away from giving ear to the gospel because we have put the behavioral cart before the conversion horse. Why is our witness for Christ so confused? It is because many of us are not doing the work of the evangelist, seeking ways to bring people to salvation in Christ, but rather we are pastoral, guiding, shepherding, and guarding the flock. Many of my students are in seminary to be trained as pastors or teachers, but not many desire to be church planters, and precious few have any notion to evangelize the most unreached peoples of their community. If we do evangelism, most of it is within the confines of our own people group and for the extension of our congregation. Sadly, we do not create ways for people to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, because before people even hear of this great salvation, we are concerned with behavior of the potential convert. We are telling Muslims they can no longer go to the mosque and telling them marrying four wives is wrong. Our witness to Hindus is that to be a follower of Christ, they must leave the religion of their culture, which in reality, knowing that if they do become Christians, it will bring shame on their family and community. Our witness must begin where people are, not where we want them to be. When our Lord Jesus told Zacchaeus he was going to his house for supper, he did not berate him for being a tax collector, the most despised profession any Jew could do in that day. That evening, Jesus ate with many other sinners, perhaps prostitutes, adulterers, and liars, for he was known to be a friend of sinners. Throughout his ministry, Jesus clashed with religious people who desired that his followers wash their hands before they ate and follow strictly the Sabbath practices. Likewise, the Apostle Paul picked up the behavioral baton and resisted requiring Gentiles to become Jews through circumcision. 
The Lord and the apostle knew that if it wasn't a salvation issue, then it wasn't an issue. They kept the main thing, the main thing throughout. Indeed, our Lord fed the multitudes, but he didn't develop a feeding program. Yes, he healed the sick, but he didn't establish a clinic. His focus was not healing people from physical disease, but focused on the spiritual disease that results in eternal death. He established no schools, hospitals, or orphanages. He did not campaign against slavery nor the unjust Roman government. Our Lord's only task was to present the good news of his redeeming salvation. Perhaps the reason 3.6 billion people in this world have yet to hear and respond to Christ's salvation is because we, the church, are so entangled with social pursuits we have lost track of what the Great Commission is all about. Or perhaps we are confused on what it means to make disciples. The task of evangelism is not to make church members, but make disciples, followers of Christ. Are we a bridge for people to know Jesus, or are we a huge boulder, an obstacle on the pathway to salvation? We cannot expect lost people to listen to the gospel if we insist that salvation includes that Sikhs remove their turbans, Hindus no longer wear the tikka, the dot on the forehead, for Pokots from drinking blood, or Muslims from observing Ramadan. In time, these behavior issues will be sorted out as we patiently and consistently disciple new converts in the scriptures. Until they come to faith in Christ, let us remember that behavioral issues are not salvation issues. Well, again, thanks for listening. If you have comments, uh, feel free to contact us and Make a comment. You can go to our website, lewis-training.com, and there you will find our email address. In our next podcast episode, I will be talking with a missionary who has and is working in one of the most closed countries of the world. I think you will be interested in listening and hearing what he has to say. Until then, as Isaiah the prophet said of John the Baptist and his ministry, may we also make the way plain, straight in our presentation of the gospel. So those who hear will behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. No problem. Welcome friend, it's Karibu Rafiki. Let's have some chai with lots of iliki. No problem. This is where the song ends. No problem.